Life in Accounting, the Where Accountants Go podcast. Life in Accounting is the podcast for everyday heroes like you working in the accounting profession. Are you ready to hear from accounting influencers, thought leaders, visionaries, and other professionals leading change in the accounting world? Then stay tuned for Mark Goldman, a CPA, the owner of Where Accountants Go, and your host. Welcome to Life in Accounting. Clearly, having a background in accounting really helps in this area. And I think coming on board here, it helped me get up to speed with it just because of the background that I've had. Hello, everyone. I'm Mark Goldman, the CPA and your host for Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. That clip was from Tim Nori with Financial Life Advisors. I invited Tim on the show because we've interacted before through some committee work with the local CPA society, and she just struck me as someone that would very openly be willing to share her insights with us. Plus, when I started doing a little more research, I found that she had a very unique and interesting career path, much more than I realized, actually. So it really just made it a no-brainer. I definitely had to ask her to come join us on the show. You're going to hear quite a variety of experiences in this podcast, but that's exactly what makes Kim's insights so valuable. If you find this episode has been valuable to you personally, please visit us at www.whereaccountantsgo.com to subscribe to the podcast, or you can do so on your favorite podcast app as well, of course. Also, we have links to all the prevalent certifications in the accounting world as well. We also have links to the review courses, which are a really good idea. So please check us out online. That's www.whereaccountantsgo.com. With that, let's go ahead and get started. Here's Kim Nuri of San Antonio, Texas. Hello, Kim. Welcome to the podcast. Hi, Mark. Thanks for having me today. Of course. Well, for our audience, I am really looking forward to doing this interview. We have Kim Nuri on the phone today. And although I've worked with Kim a little bit through our CPA Society volunteer efforts, I really don't know much about her professional background myself. So this is going to be an interesting episode for me personally. Kim's career started like many of ours, but then took a twist. And although her accounting background still greatly benefits her in the space she works in now, I'm sure, the financial advisory field, she definitely doesn't spend her day making journal entries anymore. Life is quite different. Kim, as I mentioned, I'm really looking forward to getting into some depth in this interview because I know your career path is going to be insightful for many of the listeners. However, I always like to start at the beginning so we get an idea of you know, how you got to where you are. What initially influenced you to consider accounting as a possible career in the first place? You know, Mark, I think what was really instrumental in influencing me in that direction was involvement with junior achievement. And when I was in, I think it was early high school, I had a junior achievement group and, you know, I can't exactly remember the widget that we sold, but, you know, all the teams made their different widgets and we'd go to the mall on weekends to sell it. And I was treasurer for my team's company. 
And at the end of the year, we had a state competition and I won treasurer of the year. And then I had the opportunity to go to the national competition in Washington, D.C. So that was what first introduced me, I think, to the world of accounting. Interesting. Did you just randomly get picked as treasurer or did you have like accountants in your family and they said, well, she's the one or how did how You know, did at the time, at the time, my dad was involved in life insurance and no one in the family was really a direct accounting person. I just had an aptitude for numbers and I think everyone in my family had a strong aptitude working with numbers. So they needed a treasurer and I thought, well, I can add two plus two, I'll do it or you know, throw my name in the hat to do it. Interesting. That's not usually something people volunteer for, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Well, every now and then we have to have these bean counter people, don't we? (laughs) There you go. go. Uh, But the good news, the good news about that opportunity is it encouraged me to take a semester of accounting in high school. And that semester really piqued my interest in accounting. And then lo and behold, my older sister came home for one of her college breaks and had her first accounting class. And she was a little stymied with a practice set in accounting. So I just showed my big sister how to work on her practice set. So (laughs) that made me feel good that I could help my older sister. So that, again, I think encouraged me along the accounting path. Interesting. Okay. So then when you went to college, did you declare accounting as a major like immediately? Yeah, I declared my major in accounting immediately. And in fact, because I had that semester of accounting in high school, I actually placed out of, I think, my first six hours of accounting. So I was able to really get into the nitty gritty of accounting my freshman year in college. Yeah, I took accounting in high school. I didn't know that was an option. I I had to sit through principles one and two. (laughs) Well, you missed out. (laughs) That is too funny. Yeah, I had no idea. Wow. Okay. Okay. We were probably in school around the same time. So that, that is interesting. Wow. So what was your first accounting job? Did you have any internships while in college or any part-time work? Or did you graduate and find the first job? How did that work? How it worked was a little bit of an accelerated path. I actually came home for Christmas break my junior year in college. And most of my friends were a year ahead of me. And they were all interviewing for their you know, big boy and big girl jobs. And I realized over Christmas break that if I really buckled down when I went back to school in the spring, I could graduate and start working in the fall too. So the middle of my junior year, I came back to school and declared it my senior year and immediately started interviewing. So, you know, the bad news in that is I lost the opportunity to have my fourth year in college where most people were studying for the CPA exam. The good news was it was a good time for being hired and I was able to get my first job at Arthur Anderson out of college. And I decided I interviewed both public accounting and an industry. And it was actually a hard decision for me, but it seemed like people that went into public accounting, it always looked good on their resumes. And I think ultimately that's what encouraged me to go the public accounting route. Okay. Were you an audit or tax or? 
I was in audit. And if I had a do-over, I think I would probably find tax more interesting than audit. But I think audit had, you know, it gives you a good opportunity to get exposed to a number of different industries and also just some good fundamental business practices. Okay. Now, we have a lot of what I call up-and-coming you know, professional students and those in the first few years of their career that listen to the podcast. So I have to ask you, you mentioned if you had to do it over again, you may choose tax. Why is that? What would have been more interesting about it, do you think? Well, I think for me, just looking back in hindsight and looking at what I do in my career now, I think the tax knowledge would have been more beneficial. But I guess we could all say at this point in my career, looking back, I've had the opportunity to have the audit background and I do some level of dabbling in taxes. But I just think personally, I find taxes more interesting. Okay. Okay. Well, yeah, certainly no regrets. I was just curious. I I could tell there was some thought process behind that. So how long were you at Anderson? I was at Anderson for a couple of years. It didn't take me long to realize it was not what I wanted to do with my career. You know, sitting in a broom closet when you go to audit some company's books, (laughs) there's got to be a better way to make a living. So (laughs) I'm just so happy to see you. (laughs) (laughs) And then it was funny because ironically, you know, I left Arthur Anderson and My next job was at a savings and loan. And it was interesting because in some respects, it was like a sweatshop. There was a lot of acquisition work going on. So we were acquiring other savings and loans and and that kept us really busy. But one of the most interesting things that has ever happened to me in my career is one day my boss called me into his office and he said that he was being asked to do some things that were not ethical. And as a fellow CPA, he just wanted to, you know, alert me about that and to tell me, you know, if anyone asked me to do anything that I did not feel was ethical to be sure to, you know, document everything really well on my work papers and with any of the recommendations that I was making. So needless to say, shortly thereafter, I quit and moved on to other pastures. But I think what was really important for me is I realized early on that there is a lot of integrity that comes along with maintaining a CPA license. And that became very important to me and the person that I wanted and want to be. Wow. That was good of him to tell you. You know, was very when, good. Yes. When people are in that situation, a lot of times they're struggling with it themselves, but they don't necessarily share it, you know, certainly not with their subordinates. That is intriguing. Wow. That was a very interesting day in my career. (laughs) I bet. (laughs) (laughs) You don't go home feeling really good after a day at work like that one. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my gosh. My gosh. Wow. Yeah, I, I bet. I bet. But, you know, I noticed you worked at American Airlines, too. And, you know, that's just one of those industries I have to ask about. Was that your immediate next step? or I had one the- step. I had one step in between. So my next step was going to work at Dallas Market Center. And I was a financial analyst there. And what was fun about that is most people may know about that as the World Trade Center or the apparel market. 
I think that's more how people tend to refer to it. But it was a great opportunity to help put budgets together and do monthly performance reporting. And as an analyst, I had the opportunity to work with leasing people who helped to lease out the space and all the trade centers, and also to work with the marketing and PR people and kind of learn their perspective of the business. So I have to say it was more than just doing budgets, but it was really getting involved with people to understand what it took to run the business. So that was a great opportunity. And the benefits of you know shopping at sample sales at the market center, that was an added perk too. <laughs> That sounds like a really large enterprise. Something. It was. It was. Okay. okay. And then American Airlines, I guess? And then came American Airlines. So, yeah, probably the first thing people think about that is, oh, my gosh, you had flight benefits. And yes, yes, I did. And yes, I traveled the world. And I worked in different cities. Initially, I started out at American Airlines as an internal auditor. So my first day in the office was at headquarters. My second day in the office was in Tampa, Florida, and the following week, I came back to the office and had to get directions to find my cubicle. So, <laughs> and then my second weekend, I was you know, heading off to London just to go have fun because we could do that for the weekend. Oh my gosh. What were the flight benefits exactly? I mean, just any empty seat is yours? Or <laughs> I mean, you know, there's definitely a pecking order with your you know, job grade or job classification, as well as if you're traveling for business, you definitely had priority over people traveling for pleasure. So there was definitely a pecking order. And I think years ago when I was working there, there was probably a better opportunity with vacant seats than there is in today's world, but there's still opportunity. But it didn't cost us much to fly in coach, didn't cost all that much to fly in first class. So it was a great opportunity for a girl who had hardly traveled to get out and see the world. Wow. I have to say, I think what was also interesting about it is it was such a large company that it gave me an opportunity to go outside of audits and accounting and to learn other things. So... One of the things that I would offer to anyone who's starting out in their career, you know, there are pros and cons with small companies, medium-sized companies, and large companies. But one of the benefits of a really large company is you can stay at the same company and have tremendous amounts of job experience and exposure. And American Airlines definitely provided that. Okay. Yeah, I interviewed a gentleman by the name of Bill Snyder. He's very active in TSCPA as well. And he spent, I think, a couple decades now at AT AT&T. And and he's had the same experience. Just he's been in many, many roles. Been with the same company, but in many, many Mm -hmm. roles. Yeah. That makes it fun. How long were you at American Airlines? I believe I was there for about nine years. So, yeah. And I mean, when I worked there, it was back in the days, some people may or may not have heard of. Robert Crandall. He was running the airline. And to put it mildly, he was definitely known for being extremely direct. And if you ever came to him with a problem, you darn well better have a proposed solution before you go spitting out a problem to him. So it was definitely something that to this day, I think of him 
and I remember that. So anytime I'm in a business situation or even a personal situation and there's a problem that's identified, you know, I sure don't want to be complaining about a problem unless I can offer up a potential solution. That's good advice. It really is. So you alluded to a lot of different experience at American Airlines. Are you saying that you were exposed to a lot of things because you were internal audit or did you move into various roles? Oh, good question. I mean, in internal audit, I definitely got a little bit of unique exposure in more than one area. The first thing I did in internal audits was going out to different airline stations. So all the different cities that we flew to working on doing, and we did surprise audits. So basically we would get off an airplane and ask directions to where the station manager was and then say, surprise, we're here from headquarters and we're going to audit you. So (laughs) we were always welcomed, as you can imagine. (laughs) (laughs) But what was interesting there is we had different size stations. Some were really, really small. Others were very large, such as what we had at Dallas-Fort Worth or what we had at Chicago O'Hare. So it was very educational to learn the airline industry from that perspective and to look at, you know, what are the different opportunities career-wise at a small station versus a large station. And then after I'd been in the audit department for probably, I'm going to guess maybe about a year, year and a half, my boss got me involved on doing some construction audits. And it was funny because initially he told me he was surprised to see me do so well because he just didn't think a girl would be able to dig into construction audits as well as I did. And I got to audit the construction contracts for the headquarters buildings that were being built at the time. And it was interesting. I think what I learned from that is there's a lot of detail in contracts And when I really educated myself on what the detailed terms were in the contracts, then going back to look at what the different contractors were asking American Airlines to pay, I would find discrepancies. So then my boss and I would get together and we would meet with the various, you know, contractors and go through our findings. And we were really able to reclaim a lot of money back for American. So, and it also taught me the expense of change orders when you are ever building anything. So if I ever build my own house, I'll know, avoid change orders as best you can. (laughs) But after I left internal audits, Then I ended up having an opportunity. There was a unique position at O'Hare Airport in Chicago, and my accounting background actually gave me a leg up on the competition because there was going to be a lot of, you know, spreadsheet work involved working in Excel. And a lot of people in the airline business didn't necessarily have that type of experience. So since I did, it basically gave me a slam dunk opportunity to get a position there. And what I learned from being a passenger service manager at O'Hare Airport was you do not have time for analysis paralysis. You have to learn to think on your feet and make very timely decisions. Um, You know, a, a good, for instance, would be one day I was manager on duty and we had tornadoes coming to the area. So we had to evacuate the terminal and get planes pulled away, you know, get the jet bridges pulled away from the airplanes. So that was a rather interesting experience. Another time we had a car bomb that went off at baggage claim 
downstairs. It was outside of the airport, but it was a car bomb that went off. And that was definitely frightening for people. Another thing that was really interesting is we had to do what we call debrief reports. So at the end of any shift where you'd been manager on duty, you had to write a report just explaining any of the non-routine occurrences on your shift. And then in the morning, there would be debrief calls with senior management in headquarters, as well as, you know, senior people throughout the field. So, if you know, there were a few times that there had been significant events on my shift, so I'd need to be at the morning debrief call. And you had the opportunity to explain yourself and, you know, why you responded, how you responded, or if it was a good response or a bad response or other people critiquing that behavior. But American, the reason they did that was just wanting everyone across the field to share experience. So it was, you know, I think that was a good part of my operational work experience. And another opportunity I had out there was just learning more about unions and rules that union employees have. So on the passenger service side, we were not unionized, but on the ramp and behind the baggage belt system, you know, anyone that worked in those areas, they were unionized. So that has its own quirky set of rules. And bottom line, I think what I learned from that is people are still people. And as long as you treat people with respect, everyone can try to work together to, you know, best accomplish what needs to get done. So it definitely was interesting. You've had an incredible amount of variety in your career, and we haven't even got to the financial advising. Yeah, exactly. You know, part of it. So. <laughs> it's kind of a schizophrenic career, but for me, I think it worked really well. So something else I got to do, which actually did provide me some experience that I use to this day, is while I was in Chicago, because I wasn't afraid of public speaking, I my boss volunteered me to roll out the employee benefits education sessions with, we had hundreds of employees in Chicago. So at a relatively young age, I had to thoroughly educate myself on every single employee benefit that we had and be able to help employees, you know, understand what they should sign up for and, you know, what benefits or what level of benefits made the most sense for them. So that was, and that was a good education too, because something else that I think is important for all, you know, people coming into the workforce is sometimes people just value a job based on what is the salary or the salary and bonus potential. And employee benefits have tremendous value. So whenever you're evaluating jobs, you know, there's such an importance to understand the full benefit package that comes with that job. That's so true. That's so true. I find that it's easier or, or it's, you know, it's easy to tell if one number is bigger than another number you know, on the salary side, but mm-hmm. benefits just have so many moving parts that so sometimes it's difficult, you know, for the individual exactly. to judge. And, and it is a case-by-case basis, you know, someone may not use the family medical and they may just care about the retirement, you know, and mm-hmm. the other person just cares about the PTO. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. It's a, it's a yeah. And you have to know what you value. Yes, exactly. Interesting. Well, I want to get to the financial advising part of your career, but I also don't want to miss any important steps. So, I mean, so take us from you know, American Airlines to making the career change, so to speak. 
Okay, so, you know, I had, let's just say I continued with similar types of experiences at some other places. And one of my last jobs before I became a financial advisor, I was actually living out in Southern California. And my father at the time was a financial advisor and he had annual conferences in Southern California. So I would head out to Newport Beach once a year to spend a few days with mom and dad. And then my dad, being the proud papa that he is, would always want me to, you know, attend some of the conference meetings. And, you know, I definitely would go to the the evening dinners and happy hours and talk to just all these different people who were financial advisors, financial planners. And one thing that I realized year after year is all these people that I was getting to know and that I was talking to. They all loved what they were doing. They were passionate about what they were doing, and they all had great quality of life. And that started to resonate with me because at the time, I was working at a company where we were doing tremendous amounts of mergers and acquisitions, and I was working 16 to 18 hours a day oftentimes, and sometimes you know, six days, sometimes seven days a week. So I'm sitting here listening to these people going, hmm, maybe there is a better way to run my life. And then... A pivotal conversation came one night. I was talking to a gentleman at this conference, and he had just come from a a long weekend seminar. And he said that at this seminar, the first thing they had to do was write their own obituary. And he said it was a tremendous experience. He said, you know, basically it's begin with the end in mind. And if you're writing your own obituary, what do you want people to have said? you did in your life or that mattered in your life when all is said and done. And that conversation really started me on a path to change. I was living my life. I think the tail was wagging the dog. And I decided, hmm, I think I need to wag the tail. So then I have a conversation with one of my best friends. And she was a purchasing manager at American Airlines at the time. And she was talking about how much she wanted to live in Phoenix instead of Dallas. And she was so interested in golf. And she was very passionate about wanting to have a retail golf store. And I had heard her talk about this for years. So finally, one night I'm on the phone and I guess I got a little impatient with her. And I just said, you know what? Go do it. It's like, what's the worst thing that can happen? If you go to Phoenix and you don't like it, I guarantee you, you can probably turn around 12, 18, 24 months later, and there's probably going to be one of the purchasing manager jobs at American open, and you can get your old job back. Well, I hung up the phone that night, and you know how you look in the mirror sometimes and you see yourself? (laughs) (laughs) And when I stared back at myself, it's like, you know, perhaps you should put your money where your mouth is. And that's when I made the decision to change careers and go into the financial advisory space. Pretty liberating experience when you wake up one day and you've had a six-digit income and suddenly if I went to McDonald's and got a job flipping burgers, I'd be making more money. Yeah. (laughs) So very liberating. (laughs) Yeah. Low low salary and, and, 
I guess, a lot of production-based. Exactly. Exactly. Yes. Okay. Wow. Exactly. So that was a big, big change. Hmm. What was that first financial advisory position? Actually, I surprised my dad. He had always dreamed of having one of his kids work with him. And I reached a point where it was like, you know what? I don't come home and see my family often enough. And we've talked about this. And I, I'm very fortunate. Not everyone has parents who are good life mentors. And mine have both been that way. And I think I came to realize that when I was out in California, that I was very blessed in that capacity. And I thought, you know, we've talked about doing this off and on over the years, and I can't take for granted anymore that my dad's always going to be there. So we work together. And that's an interesting experience. So anyone who's thinking about going into a family business, it's wonderful and it's awful. <laughs> You know, you definitely see family from a different perspective, and that can be good and bad. Any family baggage that exists can come to work. So you definitely have to learn. For me, I have an ability to, I guess for lack of a better word, kind of compartmentalize things. So if there's anything going on in the family, there are times it's like you need to compartmentalize that when you come to work. And my way of doing that would be to call my dad by his first name instead of dad. So that put me in business mode. But I'm probably digressing a little bit. So you're probably wondering, did my accounting background make that transition any easier than it might otherwise have been? Yeah, I was curious because that's hard for a lot of accountants when they move into that space and they realize that they're living is based a whole lot more on trust and relationships and that kind of thing. So yeah, how did that transition work for you? How did accounting benefit you? Yeah, I think accounting benefited me because initially there's just a lot of licensing and credentialing you need to get. So I started out on both the fee-based side as well as commission side. So I earned fees on investment advisory work and I earned commissions on, let's say, life insurance, disability, long-term care insurance, that kind of stuff. And I had to get a Series 7 securities license. My dad got kidney cancer not long thereafter, so I had to get my Series 24 principal license. You know, then there's a couple other Series 66 and a 65 I actually did not have to get, which is for investment advisors. And because I had my CPA license, I was actually grandfathered to where I did not have to study and take that exam. And then I had to get my insurance license. And with my certified financial planner certification, I was able to challenge the CFP exam because I was a CPA. So that saved me a tremendous amount of coursework that I otherwise would have needed to take. So that was a perk from my vantage point. I did study for the exam. Lucky me, I'm a good test taker. So, But I study. So I studied for the CFP exam and got that. And then one of the other interesting aspects of this career and having my CPA license is over the years, I've had some clients that have commented that the reason they chose to work with me over somebody else was because I had my CPA license 
and they felt that that CPA license really added integrity to who you were as a person and made them feel that I would be more trustworthy. So I thought that was really interesting to hear from people. Yes, it is. Can you still challenge the CFP like that and save time if you're a CPA, or is that something that you can't do anymore? You know, you know I, I think you can, but I don't huh. know for sure. Lawyers can challenge it as well. If you're a lawyer, they would allow you to challenge it too. So, and I think that that has still remained the same. And the test is pretty comprehensive. And <laughs> so you're not going to pass it if you haven't done your studying, I don't okay. think. Okay. Yeah, I've heard it's a very challenging exam. I just, I wasn't aware that having a certification, if you will, in another area that, you know, benefited you in terms of, you know, less classwork or something. So, yeah, mm-hmm. interesting. Learn something new every day. That's, that's exactly. <laughs> so, I'm curious what happened with your father's business and how you, you know, got to where you are now. How long have you been in the financial advisory space? And, you know, take us to the current day. Okay. Well, I've been in the space since 1999. And, oh. yeah, well, thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm, I'm sorry. <laughs> That came out wrong. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. I just don't know what to say to that, Mark. (laughs) Such a short time, Kim. Well, that sounds better. (laughs) You know, as far as how it's progressed or, you know, how things have evolved, I would say, you know, initially the focus of our practice, while it was very relationship-oriented, It was probably more investment and product driven. And not surprisingly, you know, many of the conversations with clients would be about the markets, you know, quote unquote. And then my practice became more financial planning driven. And I have to say, with the financial planning, there is a distinct difference in the conversations that you have with clients. And the conversations became so much more meaningful. And I think I've been better able to impact the lives of clients because I know more about them. And the market becomes very secondary. It's just a part of the financial plan. But there are so many bigger decisions to be made beyond just how should you invest. So, And what really what I love about my profession is making a difference in people's lives. It's like I enjoy the analytical work. So that's the CPA or the accountant in me. But then there's also another core part to who I am, and it's just really wanting to make a difference in people's lives. And probably what's challenging about, you know, what we do in this profession is you deal with so many different personalities and learning styles that all of your clients have, and it's really important to help motivate them to act on recommendations. So that, I think, has been you know, it's a challenge, but it's also a privilege to get to do that and to try to think of ways to help motivate people. Did you have some good mentors that help you, I guess, learn that technique? And because I understand what you're saying, it's you're a trusted advisor and you're giving advice, but people don't necessarily always follow it. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. And you know, you know, one of my mentors I worked with before, and you know, we have the opportunity to be working together again. And it's been fun because he is definitely very tuned in to 
what motivates people and how to get them to respond and thinking about what your you know end product, how you deliver that to a client. And then one of the other people that I work with now, I just love because it's just a brilliant mind. And you know, our problem is that sometimes I think we can get so engrossed in solving problems and go, you know, way beyond the time and effort for the scope of an engagement. But we enjoy what we're doing so much that it's just like you want to bring something to a full conclusion. And and also, you know, sometimes it's not just looking at it from one client's perspective, but it's also thinking, well, may have another client down the line that this, you know, will pertain to. So let's really, you know, learn it thoroughly. But we definitely have fun here. And I think, you know, the firm that I'm at now, I joined this group in the past year and two distinct changes here. You know, one is this is a fee-only firm. And basically what that means in our industry is we don't take any commissions or sales trails. You know, the only compensation we receive is what is paid directly from clients. And so they know what they're paying us. And Then the other thing that's really interesting about financial life advisors is, you know, beyond being a fee-only firm, and it's clearly what excited me about working here is the tax planning that we do. So more and more, there's what I call stealth taxes that are out there. And, you know, the tax code, as much as Congress tries to simplify it, it's not simple. And there's so many, if this, then that oh, and if that, then maybe this other thing. So you really have to know it and understand it. And there is an internal process that's been built here that works on projecting income taxes over a 20-year period. And what I love about this part of what we do is it really helps us to make recommendations to clients based on what makes sense over the long haul rather than what makes sense in an isolated one-year time period. So Clearly, having a background in accounting really helps in this area. And I think coming on board here, it helped me get up to speed with it just because of the background that I've had. So that's probably one of the things that I enjoy most about what I'm doing right now. Wonderful. Thank you. Yes, I wanted to get around to exactly where you are today because I want to make sure you only know, give financial life advisors a plug there. So <laughs> glad you mentioned that. <laughs> Glad you mentioned that. Perfect. Well, one of the other things I wanted to ask you about was the process of becoming a CPA. Because I I noticed, well, it looked like, if I'm reading it right, that you went to school a couple different times. And as of the time we're recording this, I have an episode in editing where I've interviewed five recently certified CPAs about, you know, their process. And so that topic is sort of on my mind and it's going to come out around the same time your episode comes out. What was your journey like for becoming a CPA? You know, what do you feel you did well that led to you, frankly, you know, successfully passing? Fortunately for me, I'm a good test taker. You know, so uh, let's be honest. I am very fortunate in that sense. Earlier in the conversation, I was talking about, you know, kind of a last minute decision to graduate college earlier. So I missed out on a lot of study time. I think if I could give anyone advice here, I would say try to understand what kind of a learner you are. You know, how do you best learn? So for me, I know that I'm a visual learner. So I basically got, I think at the time it was Dearborn who put out some CPA review books. And I got my review books and basically 
I read through those and I took a lot of practice tests. I did a lot of practice tests. So I knew how long it took me to answer all the questions. And then I could check and see what my score was. So I had a pretty good idea to have a sense on have I studied enough or not. And, you know, (laughs) lucky me, I don't know what the score system is. (laughs) in these days, but back in the day when I took the exam, you needed a total score of 300. You needed a 75 on each of the four parts. I am proud to say I am a member of the 300 club. I did not overstudy. (laughs) (laughs) You are so efficient, you know? (laughs) Exactly. I studied just enough. So, and here's the other thing I'll tell you. I know that that's how I can really prepare for tests. And I was one of those silly people that brought my review books to the convention center when I was taking the exam. And in between one exam, waiting for the next exam, I would literally be cramming and reading review questions and answers just one after the other. And I will never forget, there was some snooty girl that walked by me and made this snide comment like, you know, either you've learned it by now or not. And the joke is on her because I guarantee you from my cramming in the hallways between those sessions, I guarantee you I answered at least one more question correctly and it allowed (laughs) me to pass. So So bottom line, just know how you learn and study. And that's how I did it. You're extremely efficient and you're just in time learner. (laughs) (laughs) Well said. (laughs) Positive spin, positive spin. Beautiful. I love that. That's perfect. Wow. Well, I want to be respectful of your time and there's three questions I end every podcast with. But before we get to that, because of a few things you said, I'm curious if you could go back in time and give your younger self just one piece of critical advice, what do you think that might be at this point? Oh, that's a good question, Mark. You know, I think if I could just give one piece of critical advice like that, it's got to be enjoy what you do at work. You spend the majority of your adult life in your professional work environment. So enjoy what you do and then keep learning. Just never stop learning. Perfect. Yeah, I'm a big believer in that if you enjoy what you're doing, ultimately you're going to be more successful anyway. Sometimes people mm-hmm. make career choices because they think the title or, or the firm you know, is going to look better on their resume or what have you, but then they hate what they're doing. Exactly. And yeah. You just can't be successful at something you hate for a long period of time. <laughs> well, and then you have to look at how do you define success? You know, if you define it just by the paycheck, fine. But for me, success in life is way more than the size of a paycheck. Definitely. Wow, you're just really getting deep with me on this podcast, Kim. You didn't know I had it in me, huh? No. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. Well, I really do end every podcast with three questions. And I like to do that because it gives us some consistency. The first one's usually the easiest one. Career-wise, what has been your proudest moment? Oh, my proudest moment. For sure, one of them was taking the time to actually drive a change in corporate policy at American Airlines. 
And especially when it was an issue that my boss and I had agreed to disagree with. So that was a proud moment because I felt like I handled that situation in a way that was respectful of my boss, but did not sacrifice what I passionately believed was the right thing to do. But probably the proudest moment is something that just happened a few months ago when I received a college graduation announcement from a student that I mentored during her high school, her senior year in high school. And she was graduating with honors. And in four years time, this girl had her BBA in accounting and entrepreneurial leadership along with her master's. And I'll say that again, in four years' time. And she shared a note with me and said that my mentoring had made a huge impact on her self-confidence and propelled her to the great things that she achieved in college. So I talk about feeling like a proud mama, and I can't wait to see the great things that she does in this next chapter. Wow. Okay, after this podcast, I need to sign up for a mentor program with you. There's some things I want to get accomplished. (laughs) Well, uh, the second question I ask everyone is sort of on the flip side. Tell us about a mistake you've made and what you learned from it, because obviously that's where the value is. But frankly, the bigger, the better. Oh, boy. Yeah. You really know how to go from a proud moment to not so proud. Yeah. For starters, it's like, how much time do we have? Right? Because we all make mistakes. But I think for me, you know, one of my biggest mistakes was not setting goals at an early age. And when I say setting goals, I mean, the sooner you start writing them down and looking at them, the better off you're going to be. And then, you know, you've got to carve out the time to achieve them. But it goes back to what I said earlier, you know, begin with the end in mind. It's like, I did not always do that. And probably my colossal mistake is I lived high on the hog for too long without paying attention to my spending. And I got myself into too much debt and I had to get it paid off. And, you know, to be real honest, It's not fun looking at unpaid credit card balances and high interest debt. So for me, I finally looked at monthly interest and thought, gee whiz, that would be a great tithe to my church. Mm. And, you know, I still remember, you know, what it felt like to have that debt. And I tell you what, if I could save one person from making that mistake with this call, that would be worth confessing to a colossal mistake. Because in my profession now, I see the impact of saving early. And it is amazing to see what people who save early and make some sacrifices along the way, the rich and meaningful lives that they're able to have in retirement and even before retirement. And, you know, it, it does. It takes some sacrifice and it goes against what American media encourages us to do. So at times you might feel like you're a fish swimming upstream if you say you can't afford to do something or it's not in your budget. But you know what? Pony up and just do it and say it. And you might even find your friends will be relieved and say, ah, you know what? I shouldn't do that either. And, you know, think about what you want from your life and when you want it. And it's not just going to happen by serendipity. That is good advice. And it's good for people to hear earlier in their careers because, you know, most of us go from, you know, scraping up enough money to be able to eat at Taco Bell 
then all of a sudden when we graduate to, you know, making a real income and mm-hmm. it's easy to get a little crazy. <laughs> those first yeah. And years. when you have flight benefits, you can get real crazy. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you think things cost more in London, huh? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And you might spend a little bit more on a weekend in London than you would at home. <laughs> That is too funny. I hadn't thought about that. That is funny. But I have good memories. <laughs> well, last question, and then we'll go ahead and close it down. What is the best piece of advice that you have ever received? You know, this is something that came from dear old dad. Probably the best advice that I ever received is when my dad and I started working together. You know, we kind of sat down and had a good heart to heart. and. And this was at a perfect time because I was rebuilding my life, if you remember. You know, the McDonald's job would have paid more at the time. Dad said, your life needs to be multidimensional. First, you need to live out your faith and put God in the number one position. Second, you need to grow in your profession and you need to grow your profession. So meaning, you know, never stop learning in what your profession is and be involved to help make your profession better. And the third thing was to make your community a better place, volunteer and give back. And then the last thing was stay healthy, take care of yourself physically and mentally. And he said, you know, it's really easy to overfocus time in one area, and it's really important to balance everything. Wow. You know, I guess every now and then father knows best. Yes. I was still jotting down notes. That's, wow, that's tremendous. And I tell you, since 1999, you know, that has been something that he shared with me and I've remembered. And it feels good when you do it right. Yes. Well, thank you so much. That is absolutely perfect advice, Ken, this song. That really sums up everything, Ken. This has been good. Thank you. Well, for our audience, this has been Life in Accounting, a podcast production of whereaccountantsgo.com. If you haven't yet visited the website, please do so. We've got links to all the certifications, including the CPA, of course. We have links to review courses that you may want to consider. And we have the show notes for this episode and every other episode. We're coming up on 100 here pretty soon, which is pretty exciting. On that note, Jim, do you have any final thoughts or words of wisdom you'd like to leave the audience with? Well, the first is 100 episodes is pretty impressive. So congratulations to you on that, Mark. And probably my final comment would be to everybody, write your obituary. Begin with the end in mind. Perfect. Very well said. Well, thank you again, Kim, for joining us. Thank you to the audience for joining us. We will see everyone next week. There's more to come.